So any of you ever sat in a sound booth in the back of an auditorium like this and watched the sound man? I mean, they're, they're pretty genius. They're way more genius than I am. They hear things that none of us hear. Seriously, if you talk to Billy and Kyle during the week, these guys hear stuff that no one else hears, like little sounds. They, you know, each of those little slider switches is connected to an instrument or a, a microphone or someone up here on stage, and they literally make these adjustments in a room, and each room is different, each piece of music is different, make adjustments in the room in order so that we can hear this amazing sound. They can also be super mean. Back when I worked at another church in Indiana, uh, we had a volunteer Sunday, and I volunteered because we wanted to give all of our volunteers a week off. I volunteered as a staff member to be in the band, and I volunteered to be one of the singers. And they gave me a microphone, and I realized somewhere halfway through the service that my microphone was off. <laughs> they said they thought it would sound better that way for the whole group. <laughs> See, these sound people, they control the whole thing. So when you think about, you know, this whole thing, they're, they're, they're balancing the sound in the room with these slider switches, and they're, they're turning some things up, some things down, whatever they got to do to adjust. In fact, we have a separate sound booth in the back, hidden under the, the back recesses of the church here, where they're balancing the sound for people that are listening at home, because it's different than being in the room here. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the church also makes cultural music. Yes. We also have slider switches that we move up and down to make this cultural music. It, it depends on different patterns, practices, experiences, and belief, which we actually base our actions on. We have these assumptions about church and how it works that allow us to balance these different slider switches and move them around. Last week, Greg took us into the visible and invisible slider switches. And he suggested that probably in a church like this, we're much more tuned into the visible than we are the invisible. So in order to really uh, balance that out, we have to move the invisible switch up and the visible switch down so that we can get, get a good balance going, a good sound, a good cultural music coming from our church. Um, this week, we're going to turn our attention to two other slider switches. You saw them on the screen, church and kingdom. Now, um, just a quick exercise. If you were to, out there in the audience, if I give you a piece of paper and you could set these slider switches how you think they're set in our church, how would you set them? Would you have this one high and this one low? Would you have it the other way around? Would you have them balanced in the middle? How would you picture how we emphasize church and kingdom when it comes to our church? How are these things balanced out? These two values and assumptions that are in the Bible, how are they balanced out in our church? Now, I can tell you I've been in, I've been in different kinds of churches and experienced lots of different kinds of Slider switch settings. The church I first worked in in Holland, Michigan, we had this set at 10, and we had this set at zero. How do I know? Well, everything we did was to get people into our building. We were only concerned with growing the number of people sitting in the seats in the worship center. In fact, we were willing to spend millions of dollars to build a new worship center. In fact, when we didn't raise the money to build a new worship center, I got to church the morning that, I was, that we were supposed to have a service. The pastor was in his office weeping and told me he couldn't preach. I had to go preach because he was so angry that the people didn't support his vision of this new building. What? We had all kinds of programs that we were trying to draw people to the church, come to the church, do the programs, do the stuff. I can tell you in that church, I never heard anything about what we're going to do in the world to change the world, make the world a better place. It was all about come to church. Now this is a, 
this is a strong church model in America because the assumption is if we go to church and do a good church, we're going to change the world. The problem is everybody out there is not in here and they don't really care what we're doing in here. They could care less. I always laugh when I see churches with signs out front saying Alpha is here this week. If I'm a non-Christian driving by, what does that mean? Is this like a new fraternity starting the church? What's going on? Alpha's here, sweet, I'm gonna go. Right, like what does that mean, right? Now I've also seen churches that have this kind of setting. In fact, Grace and Peace Church in the city that we've been partnering with, this is their setting. They live in the city and when they think about church, they don't think about Sunday morning only. In fact, if you go to Grace and Peace Church, the old Glidden Paint Factory they took over, their worship center is in the kind of downstairs floor in the corner. It's not really all that impressive. There's pillars in the way of your sight lines, and it sounds terrible. The sound is bad. It's super hard to balance. In fact, they have to put their drummer inside of a drum, completely enclosed drum kit, so they can even just hear the rest of the band. They totally de-emphasize the worship service, and yet, during the week, they're passing out food, they're ministering to single moms, they're, they're involved with Young Life. They got World Vision stuff going on. They're, they're the number one food distributor in the whole city of Chicago in a food desert right there in the city. They've built a $35 million sports facility to do intentional sports in the community because they know in that community there's no place for those kids to go to those kind of sports. Kingdom-minded church. They don't care if people sit in their seats. They're more interested in people's lives being changed and something happening in them that's going to change the world for a long time. So the question is, where do we have our slider switches set as a church? How would you put them on the board? It'd be very interesting to have everybody weigh in how they see Elmer's church. Where are we at? I don't know. I'm not going to not going to offer my my uh, my evaluation. I'm going to let you figure it out on your own. So let's just begin. I think one of the problems is we think we understand what this is, church. We don't really know if we know what this is. Okay, so let's look in the Bible and see if we can understand what that is a little bit. So the question is, what is the kingdom? What's the kingdom? Well, the kingdom shows up early in the ministry of Jesus. He comes on the scene, Matthew four seventeen. He says this to his disciples. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus basically is telling us the first thing to grasp about the kingdom is that in order to be part of the kingdom, you have to stop doing what you're doing, you have to turn away from that, and you have to embrace and reorient yourself to a new kind of orientation for the world. How do I know this? Well, think about this. The human race was put in a unique position in the Garden of Eden. We were offered the chance to rule alongside God. We were made kings and queens with God and offered to rule. We were told to dress, till, and keep the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything else on planet earth. God invited us into his sovereignty and said, rule with me. Be kings and queens with me. What did we decide to do? We decided to revolt. We decided that rather than let God define good and evil, we would make our own definition of good and evil. And when we revolted, the world was plunged into an alternative kingdom. Yeah, our revolt allowed the enemy of God to usurp the rule of God and take the throne of the world. When he took the throne of the world, what happened is, is that the enemy's fruit was born in the world instead of 
the fruit of the Creator. So the kingdom was usurped. When Jesus comes on the scene and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, he's basically saying, look, the kingdom of heaven is not a place, it's not in a building, it's not in one state or one location, one country. The kingdom of heaven is the reign and rule of God on planet earth. And I am coming back, I'm here to reestablish that reign and rule on planet earth. I'm here to reestablish that reign and rule in the hearts and lives of people because if it's established, the reign and rule of God, what's going to happen is, is that God's fruit, his authority, will take charge of the earth. And the, the earth will be restored to what it was supposed to be like when it was first made. And you'll be restored to your proper place. So what does it look like when Jesus takes back the world? Well, look at Matthew 4, 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So since the kingdom is the opposite of what everyone else has experienced under the reign and rule of the enemy, it's going to take a lot of explaining, a lot of teaching to let people know what the kingdom is really like. So Jesus travels through ancient Palestine, going from synagogue to synagogue, explaining to people Here's what the reign and rule of God looks like. Here's what it's all about. Let me teach you about it. And he says some crazy things. He says things like, those with the most power, they're going to be the least. And those who are the least, they're going to be lifted. He says things like, if you want to reign in the kingdom, don't pick up a sword. Don't pick up a hammer. Don't pick up a king's scepter. Pick up a towel and wash people's feet. He says in the kingdom, the merciful are blessed. The poor in spirit are paid attention to. It's a totally upside down rule that Jesus brings. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the enemy. And then... He goes even past that. You saw that end of the verse there? Jesus recognized, he was convinced that the dark definitions that we have bought into are destroying us. They need to be healed. So Jesus enters in and he demonstrates the power of the true king. He touches people's bodies and makes them well. He casts demons out and heals mental illness. He touches people that are blind and makes them see. He touches lepers who no one wants anything to do with and makes them clean. Jesus demonstrates the power of the real king's kingdom. What it looks like for the reign and rule of God to be the thing that's in charge, the identifying principle of the world. Now the question is, for me, how do you get into the kingdom? How do you find your way and how do you become part of the kingdom? Well, Matthew 16, Jesus continues. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you. You are the Messiah. You are the King. You are the true King, the Son of the living God. So I love this little exchange. Right? Disciples are like, they're giving them the, the rundown. Here's what they, they say about you, Jesus. 
But Peter, he gets it. It gets revealed to him. And he makes this amazing confession. And Jesus like, says to him, Peter, that's it. You got it. God revealed this to you. Now, let me tell you, folks, you can be in the church and not be part of the kingdom. Because unless you've made that confession, then you haven't actually become part of the kingdom. We welcome you to sit here and explore. We welcome you to catch on and figure it out. We welcome you to be among us. But until you say you are the Christ, Son of the living God, until you turn and stop and turn toward Jesus, you have not joined the kingdom. So sitting in church doesn't necessarily make you part of the kingdom. That may be tough to hear for some, but once it's revealed to you, once you receive this Jesus and take him in, once you say, I want to belong to the king, now you become part of the kingdom. The movement of the reign and rule of God being reestablished on planet Earth. Now, the next question I would ask is, how are the church and kingdom related? Well, Jesus continues. He ties these two together in this same passage, Matthew 16. Check it out. This is his response to Peter. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock upon this rock. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it is another way it says it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So what did Jesus mean by the church? When he said church here, this is, this is one of only two times in Matthew he says church. By the way, he says kingdom 50 times in Matthew. 50 times kingdom, two times church. Okay? What did Jesus mean by the church? Did he mean a building on the corner like this one? Did he mean, what did he mean by church? Well, the Greek word is a word that refers to the gathering of people who have made this confession that Peter made. The gathering of people who have said, yes, I want to belong to the king, and the king is Jesus, and he's the one I want to belong to. It's not a brick-and-mortar building. It's hanging out with people who have yielded their lives to the king, the proper king of the kingdom. That's the church. That's the true church. Guess what? That's the big C church. So we're one part of the big C church. And wherever you go in the world, <coughs> can you throw me that water? I don't know. I'm having an issue. I'm getting old. My, my throat's th starting to dry up. Talk too much. <coughs> Sorry, I never like to drink in front of everyone because now everyone's thirsty and wants to drink, right? So when you travel the world and go places and run into people, you can tell when you're with somebody who's part of the big C church. You can tell when you're with someone who's a part of the kingdom. The spirit inside you speaks to the spirit inside them, and you find this camaraderie. So I go to Africa, to Kenya. I meet pastors from Kenya. They're totally different than me, but we are immediately pulled together because we serve the same king. And I recognize, whoa, we're part of Jesus' big C church across the world. We're serving the king together. I go to New Mexico. I run into Native Americans on the Indian reservation who are serving the same king as me. We're totally different. Our stories are not even close to the same. Doesn't matter. We're serving the same king. But here's the thing. 
it's really easy for us to get focused on this, which makes sense. There's nothing wrong with this. Why did Jesus make this? I'll tell you why he made this. He made this so we could come together and be reminded that we are serving this king. We need reminders, right? So we can get our batteries recharged because getting out in the world is difficult, isn't it? It's tough. It's a battle. It's, it's a war because the enemy is still trying to establish his rule. So there's literally a battle going on in the world for who's going to reign over the world. And whoever gives their heart to the king joins the group of the king, and whoever gives their heart to the enemy joins the group of the enemy. And we run into those people all the time, and we're supposed to be the ones helping them find the king and the kingdom. So we come here to get recharged and ready to get back out and build the kingdom. And that's why Jesus created the church. Did you see that line? I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. When you give someone the keys... You're giving them the authority. You know, you can't get a key to this place. It takes, you have to go through like a, a, a background check. I, mean, I, had, they had a, I had to take finger, fingerprints. They, they had to really check to see if I could have a key. It took a while, but I eventually got a key. But getting keys to a place is difficult, right? That's like, if you have keys, it means you're like, you've been given charge. You've been given partnership. You've been invited to rule, to be part of the king's court. So we're all part of the king's court of the kingdom. Jesus is the king. We're part of the court, and we get to build this kingdom with him. And I love this phrase, whatever we loose on earth, whatever we permit on earth can be permitted, whatever we bind on earth and say, this is bound, it's going to be bound up. One of my favorite scenes in that that illustrates that, you ever seen Lord of the Rings? You guys watch Lord of the Rings? This is on in my house all the time. Great set of books. You should read the books, really, first before you even watch the movies, but... The, the books are made, the, the movie scene, I love the movie scene, they're, they're, the, the Fellowship of the Ring has decided to, to, they have a mission to go on, and they're in the middle of this giant cave, and this demon attacks them, this Balrog, giant dragon. And Gandalf puts the folks behind him, he stands on the bridge with his staff, and he says to the demon, you will not pass here, Right? And he smacks down his wizard stick and the light comes out and there's a war that goes on. That is what we get to do on planet Earth. We get to stand between the enemy and his minions and someone who he's trying to destroy. And we get to say, you will not pass here. I have stood in that place. Have you? I've been there to join the king. Have you? Have we? Now, I'm not the only one that thinks this stuff. Here's a author, Hugh Halter. He writes this. We call for the church to change, but change must be about new. This type of new is, not, is about returning, returning to something ancient, something tried, something true and trustworthy. Something that has rerouted the legacy of families, nations, kings, and peasants. Something that has caused hundreds of thousands to give up security, reputation in their lives. What we're returning to has always been and must still be revolutionary. What we need to dig up, recover, and find again is the life of the kingdom and Jesus' community, the church. It's about the type of church Jesus would go to. The type he died to give his, his life to. It's not, it's not about success, size of buildings, budget, salvations. It's about being faithful to live across alternative ways in the world again. 
So I don't know if you, you don't probably know the new research on small groups. The new research on small groups is this. If you form a group and your purpose is internally focused, in other words, let's get to know each other, let's become a community, let's share together, let's do these things. All these are all good things. But the new research shows if you do that and that's the purpose of your group, what will happen is the group will just kind of flatline and struggle along. But if you form a group with a mission, all those other things will come along with it. The community, the dinners, the fellowship, the sharing your lives together. This has happened. The Alpha team here at this church, just a few of us that didn't even know each other formed that group with a mission. We're going to put on Alpha. There's 10 of us now. I would say we're friends. We have a text message chain that goes around. We pray for each other. All kinds of things happen because we decided to get on the mission of Alpha together. This is a great illustration for the larger church. If we just form this group so we can hang out together and be all inside here and keep all the bad people out and protect ourselves and our kids, that is not going to work. That is this. But we want to move this, right? We still want some of this good stuff, but we want to get this kingdom slider switch to come up so that we can participate in what the king is doing in the world. We can participate with the king in building his kingdom. So what do you want to be known for, Elmer CRC? It was great this week. Because of our fifth Sunday serve work, we got a thank you note from the chief of police and Elmer's chief of police because we cooked for a cop as a part of our fifth Sunday serve that we did a couple weeks ago. And we brought, our, our team brought the cops food for that day. There were 12 of them on duty that day, that Sunday, and enough food for the whole week. And the chief of police wrote me this amazing note about the people of Elmer CRC. See, because we demonstrated what the kingdom looks like through just some meals at the police station. I'm inviting you, Jesus is inviting you to become part of the kingdom movement. So here's a question, some questions for you to think about as we leave. Do you know your mission? Do you know what Jesus has called you to do in the kingdom that no one else can do? If Ephesians 2.10 is correct, you have been created in Christ Jesus as a group and individually to do the good works he prepared in advance for you to do. So what's your mission? What can you do that no one else can do? Who can you gather with you to do that thing that you're supposed to do? Do you know your spiritual gifts? Because you're going to need spiritual gifts, you're going to need spiritual power. You're going to need the power of the king to pull this off. Do you know any people around you that will join you in this mission? That you can invite into the mission? Do you know any people in your neighborhood who still live under the shadow of the enemy? Who need to be invited to consider the king of the kingdom? Because if you do, you can invite them to Alpha. You can walk alongside them. Who wants to join me? and being a kingdom church. Who wants to join me in building the kingdom? Who wants to join the staff? Who wants to join Pastor Greg in building the kingdom and pushing this slider switch up? And here's the great thing. The visible, invisible ties into this because guess what? From the invisible world, Jesus wants to speak to us 
about how we can move this slider switch and give us instructions how to do it. So we don't have to even figure it out. We just have to ask him, and he'll tell us what to do. Isn't that awesome? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, these are challenging thoughts and ideas. Teach us, Jesus, to go, to become kingdom people. Give us each, Lord, a word about how we could enter into this kingdom building ministry that you started way back with your disciples. In your name we pray, amen.